Yeah, it's a good song to uh, lead into this sermon with. You know, we we, f- we forget that uh, we uh, we do encounter opposition. You know, the Bible says that we we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against against uh, powers and forces of, of darkness. Anyway, I don't I don't know why it is, but you know, we're often surprised when we when we encounter opposition. Uh, Many times because of our, our faith in, in Christ. Many times because we're, we're doing the Lord's work. We're doing the will of, of God. And, you know, we feel like, well, since, since we're following him, you know, we, we should have it easy, shouldn't we? You know, people, people should naturally accept us and, and give us affirmation, Right? And uh, you know we're we're surprised when our our culture gives us resistance. But uh, Eugene Peterson he says eighteen or yeah eighteen hundred years or so of Hebrew history, capped by a full exposition in Jesus Christ, tell us that God's revelation of Himself is rejected far more often than it's accepted, is dismissed far more people than embraced it. Dismissed by far more people than embrace it, and it has either been attacked or ignored by every major culture or civilization in which it's given its witness. Magnificent Egypt, fierce Assyria, beautiful Babylon, artistic Greece, political Rome, Enlightenment France, Nazi Germany, Renaissance Italy, Marxist Russia, Maoist China, and pursuit happiness America. The community of God's people has survived all of these cultures and civilizations, but always as a minority, always marginal to the mainstream and never statistically significant. Well, the thing is, we're going to encounter opposition. We will be opposed. Uh, God does not promise that things will always be easy for us. D.L. Moody said, I thought when I became a Christian, I had nothing to do but just lay down my oars in the bottom of the boat and float along. But I soon found out that I would have to go against the current. Now, the, uh, the Jews who returned from uh, captivity in Babylon must have felt the same way when they encountered opposition. We're going to see that opposition today in Ezra chapter 4. But imagine what it must have been like for these people. Uh, you know, God had, had miraculously brought them back from exile. Remember, God stirred the heart of the, uh, the, the king of, of Persia. The, re, the return uh, you know, had not been without, without cost. You know, many of these people had uh, really settled in and, and prospered in uh, Babylonia. This, this foreign land to which they'd been carried away. But then they, they voluntarily left behind what they had established there for 70 years, and they responded to God's call, God's stirring. They had, they had returned to their homeland, and they had got to the task of, of rebuilding their lives. And they knew that God was on their side. They knew that their work was according to God's will, and according to his plan, fear, what can man... 
Psalms 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, surely God is going to bless them and everything is going to go smoothly, right? Well, we know that's not always the way it happens. Uh, God allows us to be tested. He allows us to be tried. And that's what happens here to God's people in Ezra chapter 4. Read with me in your Bibles. Ezra chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in this building, the house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build, and they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of King Cyrus of Persia, even, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, and Mithridath, and Tabiel, And the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. This letter was written in Aramaic and translated. Rahum, commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Rahum, the commander, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their associates, the judges, the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Asnapar deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter that they sent. To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now be it known that the king, to the king that the Jews who came up from you have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls refinished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now because we eat the salt of the palace, and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, Therefore, we send and inform the king in order that a search may be made in the book of records of your fathers. You will find in this book of records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from of old. That is why this city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. And the king said, sent an answer to Rahem the commander and 
Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river. Greeting. And now the letter you've sent us has been plainly read to me, and I made a decree, and search has been made, and it has been found that this city of old has risen against kings, that rebellion and sedition have been made in it. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem who ruled over the whole province beyond the river, to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city not be rebuilt until a decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to hurt to the hurt of the king? Then when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Raham and Shimshai, the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jerus at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So, well, things began to go well. You know, people, the, the people were excited about rebuilding this temple. The, the work was advancing and, and then something goes wrong. You know, it seems like um, probably a lot of it say, yeah, that's, that's a story of my life. <laughs> things, things go along really well, and then something happens. You know, it seems like uh, there's always some sort of obstacle that's, that's placed before us, and uh, we will always be tested when we're doing God's will. So how do we respond? You know, we can get discouraged and... We can quit, or we can come to the realization that, that God's word is God's work is worth doing, and and press forward relying on Him. Well, the first thing we need to realize is that you know the enemy will always oppose the advance of God, the advance of God's work, and the advance of God's people. You know we should we should expect resistance. We should expect problems. You know, it was true in the the 6th century B.C. for these people. It's true today. What did Jesus say? He said, in the world, you'll have tribulation. Paul told Timothy, in the last days, there there will come times of difficulty. You know why? Because when God is working, the enemy is threatened. When God's people do the work of God, it's an assault on the enemy. And the enemy is going to use various tactics to, uh, to stop that work. Let's, let's look at some of the, the forms of the opposition and resistance that these people encountered from, from, uh, from these guys that, that were uh, inhabiting the land. Well, first was the enticement to compromise. You know, the, the people who, who it says here are adversaries, they say, let us build with you. Let us, let us work together. You know, because we worship the same God that, that you do. We've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of 
Esarhaddon, king of Israel, or Assyria, brought us here. You know, in the in the first chapter, remembered we we looked at uh, how important unity was. You know, God's people people coming together as one man to Jerusalem, and at first glance, this kind of looks like a, a call to unity, doesn't it? Yeah, and and on the surface, the uh, the response that Zerubbabel made seems a uh, little odd. You know, you, you'd think the offer of help would be a, a good thing. You think Zerubbabel would have said, "Yeah, come on, the the more the merrier. Bring your bring your shovels and picks and hammers and whatever you have. You know, we can we can use all the help we can get, right?" But Zerubbabel. Kind of seems rude here at first glance. He says, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So why does Zerubbabel refuse his help? Well, these uh, these people that they're dealing with were, were transplants. They were They were people who were exiled to Judah and Jerusalem from Assyria. Second uh, Kings 17.24 talks about these people. They were not Jews. They did not know God. Second Kings 17.24 says, The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And, uh, you know, having, having lived in central Israel, these people learned some of the customs of, of the, uh, the, some of the Jews who had stayed. But their worship was syncretic. You know, though they worshiped the true God, the creator God, they also engaged in uh, pagan practices. They, they worshiped false God, gods. Uh, can you see a problem with allowing them to uh, join in and, and help build this house to God? Uh, you know, they they probably would have applied pressure to incorporate the the practices that uh, are, are opposed to the the true worship of the true God. And this this, by the way, was. Uh, Really, the, the evil that had been committed by so many of the uh, the kings of Israel and Judah, right? You know, they they worshipped God, but they also worshipped idols. They also worshipped false gods. That's what resulted in, in God's judgment on, on his people in the first place. So this was a call to compromise, a call to return to that, to that evil. And, you know, we need to be careful as well in doing uh, kingdom work. You know, we've got plenty of examples of, of religions and cults and, and Christian sects that are syncretic. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, believes in a lot of the right things. They're, they're right on with the, with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? On a lot of social issues, they're spot on. 
They, they believe that Jesus died for our sins. But what else do they believe? They don't believe that salvation comes through faith in Christ only, but faith in Christ plus other things, other works, good works. You know, adding on to what Christ did on the cross. Another group, the, the Mormons, they'll, they'll come to your house and explain to you how what they believe is really pretty much the same thing that you believe. They, they'll tell you they, they, they're Christians, they'll say. They'll say they believe in the Bible, yeah. They, they make it sound like they're no different, but you know what? They also believe in millions of other gods. It's a polytheistic religion. They believe that they are on the way to becoming gods, that our God was a man at one point, just like, just like us. You know, they blend worship of the true God with uh, elements of false religion and false gods. And, there, you know, there's always been a push to get uh, Christians to uh, embrace these groups, these syncretic groups, uh, but we're not going to do that. You know, we want to keep our, our worship pure. We want our teaching to remain true to the truth of God's word. Uh, you know, we want to avoid letting our, our purpose, which is to glorify Christ, to be diluted by other things. You know, we need to hold firmly to the uh, primary uh, tenets of, of our faith. You know, we, we want to have unity on the essentials. We don't want to divide over secondary issues. Anyway, the first tool of opposition from the enemy was subtle. You know, it really doesn't even look like opposition. It just looks like a, a kind offer to, to help. And that didn't work. And when that didn't work, the enemy began to take a more direct and aggressive approach in, in the attack. You know, the second form of opposition was discouragement. Once the, once the people of the land were turned down, they, they changed their tactics. They resorted to intimidation, which brought discouragement. Look at what it says. The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah. It made them afraid to build. You know, this, this word discourage in the original language means to uh, literally to, to make their hands slack. You know, that image of, you know, strength just dissolving into oh, discouragement. They succumbed to fear, and, and this fear even, even manifested itself physically. And when we allow ourselves to become discouraged, fear can take over. You know, we can fall into the, into the what-if game. I've known pastors who were who have allowed fear of, of being fired to influence how they how they handled those who would wish them harm, or or worry that if they offended somebody with the truth, that person might leave and and take their their tithes and offerings with them. You know, fear and discouragement can can cause us to to doubt ourselves. It can cause us to doubt God. You know, did, did God really want us to do this? 
You know, I, I felt really strongly this is what God wanted. You know, maybe I was wrong. We begin to, we begin to question, and, you know, this, this internal battle can cause an erosion of our, our zeal and our, our commitment, our conviction. You know, it can wear us down. We can become discouraged, which that discouragement works from within to, to weaken us, causing us to fear. So the next, the next form of, of opposition really came from, from the outside. You know, this discouragement and fear was, was internal. Now they come from the outside. And this third form of opposition was, was deception and misinformation. You know, these, these people who were the adversaries of God's people uh, resorted to underhanded and, and deceptive practices. You know, they resorted to bribing, spreading misinformation. Listen to what they said. They're rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They're finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. You know, this kind of looks like a half-truth, right? You know, they had, they had gotten as far as laying down the foundation of the temple. Now they're heading in that direction. You know, we'll, we'll see that in Nehemiah, where the, where the walls were were rebuilt. They said, if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they won't pay tribute. Customer toll, the the royal revenue will be impaired. You know, they're they're accusing the Jews of being rebellious and seditious. But remember, you know, it was it was the the king of Persia who sent them there in the first place, right? They, they obscured that fact. They did this by uh, slandering the character of, of God's people, portraying them as, as wicked and rebellious and treasonous. You know what? This is what we today call a smear campaign. You know, if the enemy doesn't get his way, he resorts to, to lying about his opponent. We see this all over the place in, our, in the political realm of our country. We see this all over the place on uh, social media. They, they appealed to the official record. This is kind of funny because if the king was to look deeply enough, he'd see that uh, these, these people were lying. Anyway, as the opposition grew, the people finally gave up. And uh, that's something we must never do. You know, we need, we need to respond properly to opposition, knowing that we are going to have opposition. We need to be obedient to God. We need to uh, accomplish his purpose, seeking to, to glorify God. Worshiping God, you know, devoting our, ourselves to the prayer and the study of God's word. And when we do this, the enemy's not going to sit still. Again, this, the, the enemy is going is to be assaulted when we do these things. You know, we, we like to expect smooth sailing. You know, we would like to say, well, God, God called us here. He called us here for a purpose. We're accomplishing that purpose. He needs to just make sure that everything goes perfectly. 
But Daniel Henderson says, for every gospel action, there is an opposite and devious demonic reaction. We see this in the book of Acts. It appears in church history. We experience it in our personal journeys. So knowing that we will experience counterattack from the enemy, what should we do? You know, what, did, what did the Israelites do in, the, in this book? You know, they were, they were tempted to compromise. They stood against it. Good for them. They said, thanks for the offer, but, uh, you know, you have nothing to do with what God has for us. We don't want to align ourselves with those who do not worship truly the true God. We don't want to yoke ourselves with those who are off track on the, the true faith as given in the word of God. You know, we, we can't allow for pagan practices in the worship of false gods. You know, we're, we're going to rebuild on the foundation, the true foundation of God's word. When the, when the uh, enemy intimidated them, What happened? Fear took over. They lost their courage. They, they began to take their eyes off from God. You know, we, we don't need to fear. You know, though, though we might take hits from uh, the, the fiery darts that are hurled at us, uh, God has equipped us to withstand the attacks. You know, remember, first things first. Worship is our primary focus. The altar was built and set in place before the work even began. You know, and God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 56, 7, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. You know, so prayer is the primary work of, of God's people. And if we remain in close relationship with him, you know, we do not ever need to fear or be discouraged. You know, he's... He's the God of encouragement. When the adversaries used dishonest and deceptive practices, made false accusations against them, they folded and the work just stopped. Thank God it didn't remain stopped, but it did sit there and languish for, for many, many years. You know, how should we respond to adversity? Uh, does anybody in here enjoy it? I don't like adversity, uh, but it comes. <laughs> if we're doing kingdom work, the enemy is going to counterattack. We, we can be guaranteed that opposition can come from without and it can come from within. Uh, if we're faithful in our walk with God, we, we can expect it. We need to put our trust in God. You know, we'll, we'll be attacked in this church. This church will be attacked. Our marriages, our families will be attacked. Our, our minds will be attacked. Our, you know, really every, every aspect of our lives will, will experience adversity and opposition from the enemy if we're following God faithfully. Anyway, we need to know our enemy we need to remain faithful. Know our enemy and remain faithful. Here's a question. What if we're not experiencing op opposition? Did, do, we ever, do we ever have periods of time where we don't feel like we're experiencing opposition? 
Maybe God's giving us a, a period of rest and, and peace, and that's good. We, we relish those times. But if we... J.J. Packer, in, uh, in the book Knowing of God, he says, opposition is a fact. The Christian who is not conscious of being opposed had better watch himself, for he's in danger. William H. Williamson, in his book, Shaped by the Bible, says, because we have been so willing to accommodate the message of the Bible to the limitations of contemporary culture, the modern world does not regard the church as a threat. I suspect that it regards us as merely boring. We're giving the modern world less and less in which to disbelieve because it senses no difference between what the church is saying and what is being said by a variety of secular voices. Thus, the modern world is not called upon actively to decide for or against the church because it sees so little against which to take a stand. The world which once imprisoned our ancestors now responds to an utterly enculturated church with mere indifference. But when we're going about God's work, when we're doing kingdom work, we, we can expect adversity. We can, we can react to it in a number of ways. Uh, John Ortberg points out that some people are energized by opposition. Some people avoid it at all costs. He says, I've given up the idea that there's an opposition-free church out there. But I've gained something else, an appreciation for the gift of opposition. When it comes, I learn something about my motives. When it comes, I get to test my courage. When it comes, the truth about my humility or lack thereof is revealed. When it comes, blind spots get exposed that would otherwise do damage. When it comes, I am given the opportunity to grow strong. You know, James talks about that in, in the book of James. Count it all joy. And then he talks about the way God uses opposition to, to develop us, to help us to grow. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, God's going to use these things. He's going to use the opposition, the adversity, the resistance from the enemy to help us grow, to, to equip us to prepare us. So, in conclusion, again, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised. But, you know, God has provided everything we need to endure, to get through it, to prevail, to be victorious. You know, what, what does the scripture say about God? He's... He's our strength. He's our, our fortress. He's our deliverer. He's our rock. He's our, he's our shield. He's our savior. Many, many other things. Read, read through the Psalms, you know. 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6.12. And if we don't experience opposition, we we need to wonder, you know, if we're really advancing in in God's work, you know, the work, the kingdom work of, of building or rebuilding You know, I imagine that once the work stopped on the temple, the adversaries eased off and allowed allowed the people of God to to live in relative peace. You know, getting back to their to their homesteads to to work on their own lives. Actually, that's exactly what happened. We'll, we'll see that later. The enemy is going to use different tactics but we need we just need to keep moving along with with God's work the enemy will use uh, deception intimidation accusations you know what whatever else he, he has in his arsenal but we need not worry um, you know, the, the, the church is Christ's church and Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us against it let's pray lord god uh, we we look to you for for strength and encouragement even even when uh, we are experiencing opposition uh, we, t- we take comfort that that we are in christ and christ is is the victorious one uh, you you are you are our hiding place lord we just sang that you are our, our help in in times of trouble. Um, thank you for that, Lord. Lord, give us encouragement that we might give encouragement to others who are experiencing opposition. And uh, we rest in you. We rest in your victory against all our enemies. And we pray in the the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our, our Savior and Lord. Amen.